and welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Maggie McMuffin, a burlesque performer, producer, clown, kink educator, and sex worker from Seattle, Washington, living in New York City. With Matt, Maggie chats about her start in burlesque and her foray into sex work, which predates her burlesque career. She also chats about her clowning career and what inspired it, not to mention her one-woman show, Three Raccoons in a Trench Coat. And so, from her future projects in the Big Apple to her love of nerdy things, here's presenting Matt Storm and Maggie McMuffin. But wait, did you know that Crash Chords Autographs is now on Patreon? Support this podcast with tiered donations, and in return, receive tokens of our appreciation, ranging from a shout-out on this podcast, to exclusive audio content, custom playlists, stickers, t-shirts, or a fully DJ'd event. This week's shout-out goes to Stormageddon's Patreon supporters Rob Starobin and Mary Jane. Visit patreon.com slash stormageddon. And welcome to another episode of Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and my guest this week is Maggie McMuffin. Hi, Maggie. Hey! Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So, I first met you at Nerdlesque Fest two years ago? Yeah, it was not this most recent one, the one before. It was the one before that. Um, I randomly ran into you wandering the city with Kita, and then like hours later I saw you at the show. That happens every time I go to New York. Like, the first time I came to New York, I got rerouted on a subway and just found Clara Coquette on a platform and was like, can you help me? I know you. I swear we've met. (laughs) Um, and so you were originally in Seattle, um, performing burlesque out there and recently moved to New York. Um, uh, is that where you first started performing burlesque was in Seattle? No, I started performing burlesque in Montana. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was the, um, I was doing a cabaret my first two years of, of going to school for theater and the theater company that was the umbrella for the for the cabaret ended up imploding due to an affair like most theatrical things and a couple of people in the cabaret troupe were like oh well we've been getting into burlesque why don't we try that and i was like i want to come this is where all my friends are going i'm gonna go too <laughs> and so i was i was one of the two first stage kittens in the entire state of montana in the very first burlesque troupe that happened in montana wow that's awesome and then how long before you moved to Seattle um, I moved that was in about 2011 mm-hmm. and then I moved in 2013 to Seattle and I've been there ever since until a couple of days ago right where you came to join us in New York yeah. um, and so um, you said you went to school for theater was burlesque something you even really knew existed when you were first starting in school uh, not really I knew, I mean I knew about club strippers right. and I knew about feature dances and what I what I did in the cabaret was I was like the resident like naked person mm-hmm. and in Missoula Montana which is a very 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 small theater community I became known as like do you need someone to get naked in your play call this chick <laughs> um, so I I was like doing burlesque things mm-hmm. in the cabaret but it wasn't until like I think about a year and a half into it that I was like, oh, burlesque is a thing, and it's all glitz and glamour, and we all watched, like, A Wink and a Smile on Netflix, Mm -hmm. and started, and, like, all of us were self-taught, because it was Montana, so we were just, like, watching YouTube videos of people all over the world. Now, you primarily do burlesque and clown makeup. Was that something that you always did, or is that something that came later? Uh, That's something really new. I've always had a great fondness for clowns, like, ever since I was a small little baby, Mm -hmm. and... I've just known so many like really good classically trained clowns. Mm-hmm. Like I've been to conservatories and studied in Montreal, and <laughs> I was just like, oh, I can't be a clown because I haven't done all this stuff. Like I don't know all the history and things. I'm just gonna like sit over here in a corner fangirling. Um, it's actually only been like 
the last two or three years. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't primarily burlesque in clown face. Oh, okay. Um, I do a lot. I did a lot of clown events in Seattle. What if I actually started stage managing in clown face before I ever did burlesque in it? Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was I was doing this gig um, in Seattle and me and the other stage managers just didn't feel appreciated and it was this weird and but it was this weird thing where some of the things that we had to do were like to set up the stage were like right in front of the audience and it involved being tall which none of the stage managers were most of us were very short women I was the tallest and I'm like five four Mm -hmm. um and so I in order to reach the ceiling to like do the stage setup I would have to climb on a piano bench in four inch heels and it just and my balance was always fine but I was always kind of like this look I like I should make this look like a gimmick so it doesn't look like I'm precarious because right. it'll freak the audience out and so I would like always make a bit out of setting up the stage and I was like well fine if the if they're not going to give us a raise and appreciate us and take this position seriously I don't have to take it seriously either I'm going to be a clown now <laughs> and then everyone loved it <laughs> so. that's really interesting yeah it's funny I guess because a lot of your social media presence has been in clown makeup, at least for a lot of your promo shots and when you performed at Nerdlesque Fest, I'd seen you in a lot of clown makeup. So I just kind of assumed that was your constant because that was my experience with your work. I hadn't realized that you primarily aren't in clown. And so where do you draw a lot of, you said you went to school for theater, where do you just draw a lot of your inspiration for your acts? Um, a lot of like campy stuff, a lot of just weird things that I find on the internet. Um, 70s porn. I really, I've always just really liked the aesthetic mm -hmm. of, of 70s porn, that like soft filter, like, this is totally how girls are acting naturally. <laughs> We're all just laid back having a car wash. Um, I, I like that and I like disco books. Um, my friend, um, my friend Marcus in Seattle for my birthday a couple of years ago got me this like giant coffee table book of the 1970s of like scene queens and pop stars and artists in from the 70s and it's just it's so amazing and that book has been like so useful to me other than that just kind of like comic books and cartoons mm -hmm. and things that make me happy that makes sense um and um you're not just um a burlesque performer you also do sex work and you've been in pornography before yeah um did that come before, after burlesque, around the same time? Uh, around the same time, I when I was first doing, technically, I did burlesque first, mm -hmm. but that was before I was a professional sex worker. I was doing amateur strip clubs, um, amateur strip clubs nights, um, before I was doing actual burlesque acts, mm -hmm. and then after I started doing burlesque, I started working in strip clubs professionally, and then I moved on from, and then... I moved on from that to doing porn, doing fetish work, doing full service work. So they happened concurrently in a okay. way that like makes them really entwined for me. Well, yeah, I, there are certain performers that I always kind of associate burlesque as just being a part of their plethora of sex work. Um, Mary Sin's another performer I consider that way, just because I know she's always done that. Um, and like I've seen you, you know, you had a feature, I think it was last year or the year before, on the Crash Pad series yeah. and things like that. So how do those things come up? Do they look for you? Do you search that out? Um, well, I'm just really loud, so I feel like <laughs> a, a couple of years ago I decided that because I had the opportunity um, and I have the privilege to be out, um, that in burlesque I was never going to be in. And 
I think people forget that a few, even like a few years ago, like I came into burlesque like seven years ago, there was a lot more sex worker shaming. Mm-hmm. Like it's, yeah. it's really been in the past few years that it's become cool to be allies to sex workers <laughs> and acknowledge sex work is a part of burlesque's history. So I was like, I'm just going to be really loud. I'm not going to let anyone in the burlesque community say that they don't know anyone who sucked it for money. So <laughs> that's right. That's where I come in. So it's, I feel like it's become part of my brand in burlesque, which I wasn't intending to do. I just wanted to try to carve out a safer space for other burlesque slash sex workers to not have to be like, I'm here being empowered with everyone sexually and about my body, but can't talk about my job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's this weird habit with, I've noticed a lot of nerd communities, and burlesque is no exception, that certain things aren't okay until they are and then there's divisive uh, divides in the community I mean you know I could talk till I'm blue in the face about the drama in any community especially burlesque and I don't think it's necessary at this point there are plenty of other places to go for that information yes (laughs) but I think it's interesting that you know what people view burlesque as comes from kind of the privilege of how they started in the scene yeah like I'm way more aware now of the queerer side of burlesque and drag kings and drag queens and and uh, trans people of whatever position and whatever gender fluidity that they're in, non-binary, just from doing different shows. And I didn't even two years ago be as knowledgeable about that, you know, but as a normal sane human, as I learn, I apologize for my misgivings and continue to learn and grow. Exactly the same. There's like, I think like three years ago, I could not explain what a non-binary gender identity was to someone. Right. And so it's one of those things that I think is really interesting that as the scene continues to grow and as people continue to be louder, we all continue to learn together. Like, I never knew that there was sex worker shaming because also, you know, even three or four years ago, I was primarily DJing with one production company and I didn't know as many queer people on the scene. I mostly knew a lot of straight white performers, you know, until I branched out and learned and met more people. Yeah, and I think it's also a regional thing. Um because sure. I because I know that over here you have like you have like Joe, who is very open about having been a sex worker. Right. Um, and over in Seattle, um, the neo burlesque movement there specifically came from lesbians working at um, the Lusty Lady Peep Show and Champion Arcade. So, even the neo burlesque movement in Seattle, like anytime anyone comes to Seattle, it's like, oh, you know, I'm not like a stripper, and they're like, do you want to go tell Miss Indigo Blue that <laughs> how you're not a stripper because you're too good for that? Yeah. And then. And then we educate people gently, but sometimes, you know, sometimes you're you're backstage and you've had a bad day and it's like, okay, listen, newbie, I need you to calm down and get off your high horse. Um, but I know that I've heard that in some parts of the country, like, I've had performers come up to me and be like, I stripped for a summer in college, I do cam work, like, I had a sugar daddy for a while, they're like, I could never tell people in my burlesque scene that. I can only talk to people about that, like, when I go to LA or when I go to New York or Seattle. Hmm. Um, so that's why I think like it's really important for like Burley Con and then Behoff this year also had like sex work panels. It's really good to that's like great. get that out there in the same way that it's really good to be like, hey, there have been trans women doing burlesque forever. Yeah. And there have been people of color doing burlesque forever. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think that I think the more the community talks and is open about its misgivings and continues to try and work through shit, it it will only be stronger for it. That said, there are certain people within the scene that are 
going to be toxic no matter what you try and do. Exactly. And, but that's any scene. That's and, not and, just blood. And those people would also be toxic in whatever scene that they landed Correct. in because they're toxic people. Right. It's less about them being in this scene and more about the kinds of people they are. Yeah. Um, but moving on, I wanted to talk a little bit. So as of when we're recording, even though this will be out much later, um, we will be working together for the first time since yeah. Les Fest. You'll be um, stage crew for uh, We Boy Lesque, which is Victor Devon's show, uh, his uh, we- White Elephant Burlesque show at Bizarre Bushwick. And you'll be uh, stage crewing as Never Nude's Commander. <laughs> yeah. Which is your sort of drag persona. So My, my accidental drag persona. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, how, obviously, so I haven't seen um, Fantastic Beasts yet. I have to see it. Um, I'm a Harry Potter movie fan. I'd never wa- read the books, which I know is sacrilege. No, it's fine. I, I try not to judge other other nerds for <laughs> how they you. nerd. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I wish other Harry it's Potter like, fans I, were the same. It's like, I'm a Catholic who's never read the Bible. I can't judge. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's all fantasy, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, so this character is clearly, of course, based on uh, Newt's commander from um, from Fantastic Beasts. But so where did the inspiration for this character, this accidental drag persona, come from? Uh, so Sailor St. Clair, um, for four years in Seattle, did um, Accio Burlesque, or Accio Burlesque, depending on how you want to pronounce it, <laughs> um, which was burlesque based on Harry Potter, which was actually the first show that I ever did. It was the show that made me move to Seattle. That well, I was already gonna move, but Sailor cast me, and I was like, "Well, I guess I'm actually doing it now." <laughs> and so for the final year, she, um, we knew Fantastic Beast was coming out, and as soon as Eddie Redmayne was rumored to be Newt, she was like, "Cause they're I used to look a lot more like Eddie Redmayne. Mm-hmm. Like my face has changed, you know, in like six years." And she was like, "Well, obviously, if this happens, you're gonna play him. Like that's it." And then he got cast, and it was, and she just texted me, and she's like, "Hey." <laughs> These are the dates. You still down? And I was like, okay. And so I just found a wig and I had this suit that I bought the first day I had moved to Seattle, like four and a half years previously, that I was like, maybe someday I'll do drag. And then I just never used it and then found it and was like, oh, your time has come, suit. And I did a Newt Scamander act, which was not a burlesque act because I do feel strongly that some burlesque, some, some, nerdy characters and fandoms like it's not so much I'm not so much the like oh you we can't do burlesque of the Harry Potter kids right. when they're students um so much as Newt just doesn't seem like someone who would get naked in front of an audience yeah he just seems so shy so I did I did a clown act instead um and it's just me reenacting the scene where he's he's trying to lure the rumpfant back into his case and um, I went, like, second in the show, and Sailor was also like, hey, we've got a couple of, like, big set pieces. Can you also, like, jump in to help with stage crew? And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. And the stage kitten was dressed as the Niffler, so we, like, did a bunch of bits because the Niffler was Tutaloo, and Tutaloo is also a clown. Um, and then from there, there were just a couple of other shows where, like, I did the newt act, and I would also, sta- and I would also stage kitten. And then I was in Serendipity's fucking hilarious titanic act as perfect <laughs> lesbian jack dawson of course and i just wore my nude outfit and right. then was also doing stage kidding for that show and then i had another show that had nothing to do with burlesque where i had to play a sitcom squirrel and i was just in my nude costume but with a giant squirrel tail <laughs> and so i'm just like apparently if i need to be a boy this is just the outfit that i wear and then when Victor asked me to do stage crew for this show, he was like, 
So you said that you have a drag king persona. Can you uh, just give me the name? Like, what name am I supposed to use? And I was like, as never, never nude. Never nude sounds like nude. That's a pun. I think that's a pun. That's it. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really funny. It's it. I, what I always find interesting about like my experience in the burlesque community is learning about yourself as you go, and that certain things aren't defined until you do them. Like I only started hosting shows about two years ago, and if you had asked me to host a show. Unless, in fact, there's a famous story. So I'd been DJing with Wasa Bosco the longest because uh, they were one of the first groups I, I um, started working with. And at one of their shows the first year, we had a go-go dancer on. And Doc had asked me, hey, can you just announce her off? And I was like, like get on microphone? Uh, uh, but I, I and, and he was like, I'll do it. Don't worry about it. But that, that's amazing to me because you have, like, such a voice. <laughs> and I primarily only heard you on podcast, and I was like, oh, that's his podcast voice. And then when I got here and you were like, hello, I was like, oh, that's just how he talks. He just <laughs> sounds like this silver-tongued madman all the time. <laughs> Thanks. Um, well, it was funny because it, it's the audience thing. I had stage fright, and so I didn't think I could do it. And then when I started working with Magical Girl Burlesque, they had asked me, and they it was mostly because they were like, look, you're a dude in the scene we trust. We feel good about you, and we know you've always wanted to try to host. We're doing a show in a basement, like just give it a shot. And like, yes. and so like, I don't remember any of the hosting I did that show. Like, I don't remember anything I said. People said it was great, but I don't remember any of it. But since then, the more shows I've done, I felt more comfortable in my own skin. And part of that has been the people within the community that I'm around. But I would have never learned that about myself if I hadn't tried. Yeah. Because I was like talking into a microphone or with one other person to a microphone. To me, that's easier because nobody sees me. Um, there was something about being seen in front of people, and maybe part of it was not fully knowing how I wanted to be seen. Mm -hmm. But then once I got to that point, it made it a lot easier. And I think what what is great about the burlesque community is they let you... There are enough people in the scene who want to work with you and help you find yourself. Yeah, which I I think is really valuable. And that's, um, that's a conversation that has been happening in Seattle for the past couple of years, is there's not enough like experimental spaces for people to try new things and break out. Mm-hmm. Um, or to even like, if you have someone who's known for doing classical acts, being like, I want to do like a really weird neo act, but like no one will book me for it. Right. <laughs> no, yeah, that's something that I'm really proud of that I'm a part of. Both Magical Girl Burlesque does something, and then um, I host and help produce uh, Industry Night, which me and Nelson Lugo run, which are open mic style shows that allow newer performers to try out new things. You know, you could be a veteran performer who wants to try out something new or a veteran performer who's putting finishing touches on something they've been doing for a long time. But either way, it's this idea that um, it's less about the money and more about the stage time so you can work on the stuff. Exactly. You're still getting paid, but it's not about a guarantee. It's about bringing people together in a space where they can feel comfortable to try new stuff. Yeah, which is really valuable i have um one of my character one of my characters in my stable pizza mermaid she's like mm -hmm. my she's like my theatrical soul and she is at, and because when i when i'm bringing her somewhere she takes over and she doesn't care about money she just wants to be on stage and try new things so like maggie mcmuffin costs money pizza mermaid will show up to your kid's <laughs> birthday party for a slice of cake excellent i mean cake it depends on the cake too it might be really worth it yeah I mean, I don't like cake. Pizza Mermaid loves cake. Oh, well, that's that's good to know for future reference. Um, I also wanted to talk to you about, so as I recall, a performer essentially made you create a one-woman show. 
So, yeah. so it's. I believe the title is Three Raccoons in a Trench Coat. Three Raccoons in a G-String. In a G-String. Which, I just assumed trench coat. Um, that's, I, the, that's the usual one, but someone was like, G-String's more salacious. Um, and so, I mean, for one, you have to meet Betty Brash at some point because she is also obsessed with raccoons. Oh, yay! So I think you guys would get along. But so tell me a little bit about how this, um, this one-woman show came to be. Uh, so in Seattle, I was stage managing a week, not a weekly, a monthly show um, called Highbrow Lowbrow that was run by um, Fosse Jack and Apollo Vidra. And the the booker that we worked um, that we worked through was um, Tim or Tibasa, who I met doing karaoke at Substation because he wanted to do a, a Run the Jewels song. I know nothing about Run the Jewels to this day, and he was like, "Someone come up here and sing with me. I'll give you a free T-shirt." And I was like, "Me, I'll do it." <laughs> and I got up and rapped Run the Jewels, having never heard one of their songs. Um, and so after that, Tim was like, "You're cool," and I was like, "You're cool." And after Highbrow Lowbrow closed down um, and another one of their monthly slots like opened, he's like, I have all these slots. He was like, and he'd been joking for a while, like, oh, you should do a one-woman show. And I was like, yeah, someday I'll do a vanity project, I guess. Um, and he was like, okay, I have this slot open in two weeks. Will you do a one-woman show? And I was like, Tim, I do not have a one-woman show. I can't just put one together in two weeks. He was like, I'll give you $200 and wave the door fee and you can have all the door sales. And I was like, I can absolutely do a one-woman <laughs> show in two weeks. <laughs> And that was that was how it happened. And I ended up with the money that Tim gave me, gave me and also, like, packed the room. I managed to be able to pay, like, I was able to tip out the bartender and the sound person and um, the friend who helped me with door. And then, like, I had a photographer show up and I gave and I got to give him money. And I was like, oh, that was great. That was a fun ride. Let's never. <laughs> and of course, it was mostly improvised, so like I didn't write a script or anything. So right. So if I, you were ever to do it again, I you would not do it again. Yeah, got it. That's very funny. I mean, but that that's a sign of I think a really talented performer if you can do something improvised like that and pack a room and still feel confident enough to do it. I think that's something that I've always admired. Is like for me, taking on new tasks is harder for me. Like if I were to do a burlesque act on stage, like I've, I've been. Uh, Rob Star Robin, who is a avid burlesque fan and very interactive on uh, Facebook with me, I've mentioned many times on this podcast that I would love to do a burlesque act and I have burlesque ideas. And so he's like holding a gun to my head, like you need to do this. Why oh haven't you God. done it yet? And so, but that makes so, me nervous because I've never done it before. Whereas hosting doesn't really make me nervous anymore because I've done it so many times. Yeah, but you were you used to be nervous about hosting and now you're not, so you just have to do that point. with burlesque. <laughs> Also, I am I am a really firm believer in the idea that any male MC, especially if they're doing shows that are all or primarily women, mm -hmm. they need to also be burlesque performers. They need to also take their clothes off in like a serious way, not in like a, oh, you don't want to see me get naked, but here I go. Oh, right. No, of course. Yeah. So it's like, you you should do it. I mean, I the reality is, is that I do want to try it. I don't know that it would be a thing that I would always want to do, but I think it's something that I do want to give a shot. Um, I've just not had the time to sit down and actually choreograph something yet. But it's something that I'm interested in trying. Um, but uh, I made the mistake of telling certain uh, several performers who I'm friends with who have no problem giving me shit about it that I want to do it. And so like, oh, so now we'll just harass you until you actually do it, you know, and sit on you until you actually make this thing happen. So and it'll you, be in the nearest future, I suppose. And you could do it and it could be great and you'll want to do it again. Or you could do it and be like, 
never want to do that again, and you don't have to. That's that's that is very true. Um, so um, going back to talking about burlesque and the the songs that you perform to and the way you curate acts, do you start? with an idea of how you want the act to go and then pair it with the music? Does the music come first? Does it depend on the act? It depends on the act. Um, and there have been some times where I've had an idea for an act and then I've had a song that I liked and then like one day I was just thinking about them at the same time and I was like, oh, they go together. So. <laughs> have you ever had an act that you wanted to do that you just can't seem to make work? Oh, God. Yes. Um, I had an act that I was, I was doing a bubble dance with a balloon and... I did it at a I did it at a few gigs and I was really excited about it and I really and I really liked it and I took it to a peer review and I got notes and I incorporated those notes and it just wasn't feeling right and I realized that I was like oh this doesn't need to be a burlesque act that's why it feels weird I should not be taking my clothes off. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, have Have there been any been any uh, acts that you uh, besides that one obviously that you don't do anymore that you did do a lot that you've maybe retired? Um, I retired my Black Swan act which was like my first regular act that I did mm -hmm. in Montana. And I performed it for a while because it would still get requested. But it's just, it's a lot of costume to pack. And it it's based on the last act of the movie Black Swan. Right. And so it's me. I come out as like the Black Swan. But I'm not, I can't do ballet. I'm not a ballet dancer. And it's just me like making really intense faces at the audience and just like hamming it up. And then I strip off the black and I become the white swan. And then I take out, and then like when I go to reveal my boobs, I also reveal that like I have, like I've stabbed my stomach, but it's not gory. It's like I'm pulling ribbons out. <laughs> and I've had a lot of fun with that act. And I, and when I was moving, I was like, oh, this these tutus are so big. And then um, my clown friend, Smokey Brown, was like, I really like this tutu. And I was like, take it, it's yours. This act is retired. <laughs> Um, are there any acts that you're working on that you're excited about that maybe haven't debuted yet or things that you're working on? Yes. Um, me and Mary Sin, um, we got booked to for a fetish party to do some sort of duet on Saturday. So tomorrow we are going to start making that act. <laughs> we think it's going to involve kinky Catholicism. Interesting. We'll find out. Um, and then I've... Am I making any new acts? I don't think I'm making any new acts right now. Mm -hmm. Which is... Um, oh, there's one that I'm, I'm secretly making to a song that was gifted to me by another performer. And when I was having all my downtime, when I was working at a brothel in Nevada last month, I was like, I'm just going to make this costume. So I have like this Grecian, like super flowy purple costume now that I'm like, eventually the time will come that I'll get to make this act. Just not at the moment. Just not at, not at the moment. I have... A lot of a lot of my my upcoming gigs, I'm I've been booked for acts that I haven't done in a while, so I need to focus on like rehearsing them and sure. polishing them and getting them up to snuff. And so um, I, it sounds like you already have a, a ton of shows booked for while you're here in New York. Um, was that through just uh, producers you had met previously? Was it a lot of reaching out on the boards and then the groups? Um, a bit of both. Like um, every time that I've performed almost every time I've performed in New York I've um, been invited to do the Fucky review which mm -hmm. I love I love they're doing that show amazing. so much the two, I love the two of them so much Zoe and um, Fancy they're just incredible they are my heroes <laughs> um, 
Fancy was actually a big part of why I moved to New York because in her documentary she describes it as a city where you can get a persimmon at 3 a.m. And I was like, God, I want to live in a place where that's possible. <laughs> um, yeah, her interview was amazing. I got to have her on this show and it's still one of my favorite episodes that I got to do. Just because also what I love about Zoe and, and uh, Fancy is as a Jewish artist... You know, I'm not super religious, but still, there aren't a ton of there are there are Jewish burlesque performers that I know are Jewish, but that aren't don't really necessarily embrace any of the culture, mm-hmm. and like both of them have at different points in their career for different acts, and there's just something really prideful about that, like really exciting about that. Yeah, and it's really interesting because in the rest of the country, you don't see that. Yeah, um, like New York is like, oh, that's where the Jewish performers are, and. It, more Jewish performers are starting to come, like, out in Seattle. And there's been talk from um, Chaos Ex Machina. She really wants to do, like, like an all... She... I don't know if I can say an all Jew review. That's I mean, what... sure. Okay. Sometimes on the West Coast, that's considered, like, non-PC. Um, but she's like, that's what I want to call it. And I was like, okay. And I was like, that sounds great. Especially since everyone she was listening, I was like, oh, all those people are just wildly talented. That's going to be an awesome show. Yeah. Me and, uh, uh, Randy Sinclair for for a while have wanted to do a, an all Jewish show, but not necessarily that the acts have to be Jewish, but that the performers do. Yeah. I thought it would be really cool. Like it would be great if the acts incorporate something about their Judaism too, but otherwise it's just this idea of showcasing these performers and these talents that you, and showing you something you may not know about them. Yeah. Um, so are you doing the upcoming uh, Fuck You review? Yeah. Excellent. Very cool. Yes. I'm, I'm super excited about that and I'm super excited to be... It's It'll be like my first For a Cause show that I'm doing in New York. Oh, nice. Um, it's like I always love just flashing flashing my pussy for a good cause. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Um, I don't flash my pussy for a good cause, but I do like, the, especially in the last couple of years, for obvious reasons, um, there have been a lot of shows for causes, and I've been grateful to be a part of a lot of them, you know, helping friends with a legal fund, um, um, st- uh, doing a fundraiser for Puerto Rico, doing fundraisers for sex workers, all, all that kind of stuff. Like, I think that what I like about the burlesque scene is that when it counts for that stuff, we're coming together very well and supporting each other. And I think that's really important. Yeah, and it's it's really good. Usually in Seattle, like, it wouldn't be fundraiser shows, but there would always be raffles. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, a thing that I really that I really enjoyed doing was running raffles because I'm really good at it. And I was like, I can't donate money. But in the last three years, I raised, like, $50,000 for various charities just through selling raffle tickets because I'm very aggressive about raising money. That's awesome. Um, do you have any desire to produce in New York while you're here? No. Oh, not at all. No, Johnny asked me that this morning. He's like, I can't wait to see what you produce when you produce. And I was like, I don't want to produce. Producing is stressful. <laughs> I I co-produced with Scarlett O'Hare Die in Seattle where like I'm even going back there for a month in November because we're doing a dream show that we've wanted to do forever like the silly little nerds we are. But the idea of solo producing, like, just, it's something, like, I feel like you have to do when you reach a certain level as a performer. And I don't like doing things that I feel I have to do. <laughs> I want to do things that I enjoy doing. Like, That's fair. I didn't become a starving artist to work jobs that I hate. <laughs> no, yes, for sure not. Um, are there, is there anything within burlesque or even in pornography or sex work that you have not done that you want to try and do or experiment with? Um... I really want to do more fetishy stuff in burlesque, which was part of the reason why I moved to New York. Um, every time I come here, I felt like a small fish, and I liked that feeling. Mm-hmm. I was getting really comfortable in Seattle, and like there were things that were like above me that I was like, 
I'm not going to reach that because it's like, it's not right for me. It's like, I'm not the right performer for those projects. Um, and I was just getting really comfortable with the shows that I was doing and I had been doing. And there's something to be said for that, for like stability as an artist. Of and course. I do not take that for granted. But it was making me feel like I wasn't growing in it and I wanted to be challenged. And every time I've come here, I've just seen people being so weird and so out there and so crazy. And also the laws are a lot less stringent. Right. And I was like, oh, I, I want to feel that way again. I want to always feel like I'm reaching to improve myself. And that's why I'm here. I just want to. I just want to get more hardcore. <laughs> I want to get more hardcore, but also more polished at the same time. I mean, that makes sense. Um, have Have you taken classes at the school of the school of burlesque? Um, not not the New York. Not the New York know. one. Yeah. Okay. Um, and um, is there any performers that you're looking forward to working with now that you're in New York as well that you maybe haven't yet? Um. Oh God, there's so many. <laughs> um. So, also working with him, but I'm really excited about meeting Lou Alfred Douglas. Um, he is tomorrow, wonderful. Just because, um, just because he's really good friends with my partners, and I've always like heard a ton about him. And mm-hmm. Mary gave me one of um, Fyodor's um, ink and ink and paint drawings for mm-hmm. Christmas, and so it's it's weird because he Lou is like this this person that I've like heard so much about and I've seen pictures of him and Mary's Hanagram act, which I've never gotten to see live. Oh, uh, it was, so as someone, <laughs> I have to tell you, as someone at this, this year's Nerdlust Fest, because that was when I saw them do it for the first time. So one, I'm a fan of uh, Florence and the Machine, mm-hmm. a big fan of that record especially. But yeah. also, I've never watched Hannibal. I've never watched an episode of it. I've seen the first movie, I think. Um, so like, they were, there was nothing there for me as far as uh, an advanced interest. But then I watched the act and I was like, this this is, this is, this is insane. Like, this is, it, they're, well, first of all, I think they're both good at working together, but I've also come to this reala- realization that I think I find Mary most attractive when she is <laughs> portraying men in her acts because the Joker, that the Hannibal act. I hate her for making me have feelings about Heath Ledger's Joker. Oh, and then, um, this, I love her, her sna- but I hate her. Uh, and her Snape act, which she's also done with Lude. It's like, what, what is this? What are you doing to me? <laughs> Not that I mind, but um, so I, uh, yeah, I think that it's really cool because of how connected the internet is that you can kind of get to know these performers through that space and then really connect with them once you get to where you're going. Yeah. Um, uh, if there was a nerdy property that you could create a show for that doesn't currently have one or that you're, you're not aware has one, what would it be? Okay, so y- you mean a burlesque show about a nerd about a fandom that hasn't been done yeah or a fandom that's really close to you maybe even if it has been done okay um i am making that show that's the show i'm making with scarlet in seattle in november is um scarlet O'Hardy does scripted burlesque shows mm-hmm. in in seattle and some of them are original like we we co-produced an original space opera a couple of years ago and for two years, we've been talking about doing Batman the Animated Striptease. <laughs> and so we brought on Jake Farley, who is um, who is a burlesque adjacent guy. He um, he did the um, this really wonderful, touching, heart wrenching um, X Men show, which mm-hmm. is where which is what I created the Phoenix Act for that right. I did at Nerdlesque Fest two years ago. Um, and we're going to write an original story for Batman the Animated Series in that style and have people act it out. And I'm so stoked that it's happening! <laughs> and who are you playing? Uh, I'm playing Carly. That's a shock. 
I know it's, it's so, so unlike you. It's, it's so very unlike, unlike you. me to play to play a clown girl who yeah. maybe has bad taste in men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm really excited about that show. The the nerd thing that I'm really surprised, and I hope I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that someone has done this. Is I don't know why no one's done a Clone High show. Oh, I want that to happen so bad. I feel like someone has a Clone High act. I feel like I've talked about this with someone Holly, recently. Holly Von Sin has two Clone High tattoos that are quite prominent on their body. Um, but, like, I loved that cartoon. I've wanted to host a show as Abe Lincoln for ages. Um, oh my God. I tried... Um, when Mary was telling me about the Scrubs show and she yeah. was like, yeah, we need like a couple of acts to flesh it out. I was like, you know that Scrubs and Clone High exist in the same universe, right? You should just have a random <laughs> Clone High act. <laughs> and she was like, what? No, it doesn't. I was like, no, it does. The janitor is the same in both of them. It's totally, they're the same character. It's just that it, it's the same. it works. Trust me, it works. <laughs> I'm sure you can find someone to do Joan of Arc. Just please put a Clone <laughs> High act here. We ended up being able to fill it with all Scrubs acts, but I'll keep that in mind if we do it again, since it, it seemed to be a success, which was really exciting. That was the first show I've ever produced, actually. I produced that show, and it was it was just, it was really exciting to see people turn out for a super specific, really stupid show. I saw I saw a video, and I was like, that crowd is into this. Oh my god, yeah. Well, also, it, it helps that you have someone like Dick Move, who, the minute he got on stage, was Dr. Cox. Of like, obnoxiously so. Stupid, talented Dick Move. So, so, yeah, this is something that me and his wife, Sarah Topps, bitch about all the time. Is like, So they were both in an unpretty show a couple months back, and like... Dick Move was doing his um, cannibal, um, cannibal Shia LaBeouf act. I want to see that it's, act so badly. It's very good. And um, and Ceratops was doing her Triceratops act, and um, which is to song from Frozen because, you know, they all froze. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just um, need a moment. Maggie is facepalming for those who can't see, which is all of you. I just love them so much. I do too. Um but anyway, so we were talking backstage and I was like, so were you doing a lot of rehearsing for this? You know, I know you haven't performed this act in a little while. She's like, yeah, I was rehearsing constantly and constantly nervous. Meanwhile, Dick did it once last night. He's like, all right, I got it. And we, were, was, and we were both very angry about it. I was literally just having that conversation with her yesterday yeah. about how she's like, I, she's like, I need to rehearse every night for like three months. And Dick just shows up and it's great. Yeah, it's frustrating. But we love him. I um, found out today that he's also a freaking puppeteer he's a puppeteer he's a voiceover artist we have a podcast together he does everything he really literally does everything and he wants to do more i'm like dude slow down i i do a lot and i'm exhausted like just stop um but no he's great and uh and yeah that show was a blast i'm hoping that we get to do it again next year i've decided after it being a success that i want to do something with sin factory every year at least mm -hmm. so um so that's really exciting um where is the best place that people can find you on the internet? Uh, the best place is Facebook and Instagram. And I also have a Patreon go if you want to give me money. Go give um, a Maggie McMuffin money because she's amazing. Thanks. Um, the last question I wanted to ask is if there's something, you, if some advice that you could give an up-and-coming artist burlesque performer more specifically maybe sex worker like if there's something that you didn't know when you were starting that you think would benefit someone who's just starting out um you don't need a tagline <laughs> which sounds, that's good advice it's it sounds like a basic thing but i think it really extrapolates into i feel like a lot of performers when they're starting out they're like they get really rigid about like this is going to be my thing this is what i'm going to be known for and instead of embracing this wonderful gift of people don't know what to expect from you yet. Like the first year or two that people are performing, 
you're just working to get your name out there. Um, so like just focus on your acts being good and people will talk you up. And that way you can also like try new things and do new things because otherwise you're going to be like at your fifth year and be like, oh, I really want to try this thing, but everyone's booking me for these acts that I already have and these things that I'm known for. So just like embrace the potential of being baby performers. <laughs> that is a great and original bit of advice. Thank you. Um, the last thing I'll ask before we wrap up is we have a saying on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> Are you familiar? I've been, I've actually I actually listened to a lot of your your past um past episodes oh, because whenever I move to a new city, I research the scene by listening to people talking about themselves. Ah, well, I mean, I do love to talk about myself. Um, um, but so I'll ask you to do our sign off, which is "Music is life and life is good." It, it it's funny the saying my my editor who used to be my partner on another podcast, um, gives me shit about using that line. He's like, you don't, most of your shows aren't about music anymore. I said, yes, but it's still the basic concept that if you're making good art, your life will be good because if you're really invested in something that you love, it will improve your life. And that, like, I mean, focusing on DJing has done that for me. And so that's, that's the spiel behind my saying, essentially. But since you are familiar, then feel free to please sign us out. Music is life and life is good. <laughs> If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good. Hi, this is Victor Devon, and I am the host of We Burlesque the Podcast. Every Monday, I talk to fabulous denizens of nightlife, including burlesque performers, both seasoned and new to the form, drag performers, performance artists, DJs, and artists who make up their respective scenes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please visit weburlesque.com to check out episode recaps and see all the formats available. And remember that music is life. Life is good.